step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to the Transparency Project on the Inside Lens Network with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides and suspicious deaths. If you have a question or comment for today's guests, please call in at 646-478-0982. That's 646-478-0982. My name is Danny Griffin and my co-host is Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com. Good morning, Delilah. Good morning, Denny. Um, I just want to remind listeners out there and, and our guests as well that the Inside Lens Network has been broadcasting these types of podcasts for a very, very long time. Um, we have very close to 700 podcasts in our inventory, you might say, um, on a on a very large scale of topics. We we have author interviews, crime topics, writing tips, mafia and mob, a lot of issue-oriented shows. Um, and some of the shows are, well, of course, Crime Wire and the Transparency Project, um, Imagine Publicity on Air, which is, is my podcast where I interview uh, mostly authors, but a lot of times I get some other expert guests on, um, Shattered Lives with Donna Gore, I Know a Guy, which was Denny's mob show, and you can listen right here on Blog Talk Radio, or you can catch us on iTunes and any of the other podcast directories, so we hope you'll enjoy listening, search and leave us some good comments, we, 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 approve, we really approve of that. Well said, Delilah. And uh, again, I can't help but get kind of awed by that 700 figure. It just doesn't seem like it's been that long, but apparently it <laughs> I know. Has. It doesn't seem like we're that uh, old, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, wrongful death lawsuits can be a valuable tool in getting the person or persons who may have committed murder and the police have not adequately pursued. However, there are difficulties that must be overcome, such as finding a lawyer to handle the case, filing before the statute of limitations runs and the financial costs involved. We're going to discuss the matter of wrongful death lawsuits with three people who will share their experiences with us. They are Larry Young, Ray Andrecchio, and Donna Few. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, to begin with, I'd like each of you to describe how you came to get involved in a wrongful 
wrongful death lawsuit. We'll discuss the mechanics of the lawsuit later. But right now, let's just talk about the events that led you uh, to be in a position to even uh, need or think about a, a wrongful death lawsuit. Um, begin with uh, Donna Few. Would you like to kick us off? Sure. Um, in June 2012, my daughter died and her death was ruled a suicide. And then um, we later realized she didn't commit suicide, but then three and a half months later, my son was murdered, and the sheriff's department ruled his death an accidental death, and it clearly wasn't. Um, We couldn't get the sheriff's department to do an investigation properly, and so... Their statute of limitations here in North Carolina is two years, and just weeks before the statute of limitations was up, my uncle, who's a retired judge, a witness, and myself went to the local district attorney thinking that he would help, and he said he would get the SBI involved and retrieve all the evidence for us to see. And lo and behold, he didn't, so I was on a real tight schedule. I think I had 10 days before the statute of limitations was up, and I was lucky enough to find an attorney to file the wrongful death suit, and that was four years ago, 2012, and it's still ongoing. Let me uh, let me ask you a, a, a question, if I could, Donna. Uh, you said your uh, the both cases, your daughter and your son, are they currently listed? Uh, have they been the death certificates or anything been changed to homicide? Or are they still listed as accidental They're still or suicide? Listed as suicide and accidental, and I have not pursued having the medical examiner's report changed, um, which is something I'm really interested in hearing about other what other people have done. No, the medical examiner stays the same as it was when they died. It has not been changed. Okay, and. You say that the uh, police agency, in this case, I guess it's the sheriff's department that's handling the investigations that you have uh, not had very good success with them? No, they closed, they closed, Hank's, when Hank's toxicology report came back, they closed the case. They ruled it a meth overdose. He had meth in his system and he had water in his lungs and in his trachea, mud and water in his lungs and trachea, and they ruled it. A accidental death, and they stand by it still. But you, you have found evidence uh, you believe that uh, contradicts that. Oh yes, we've been investigating it every day since then. We've got mounds of evidence. And have you talked that over with the uh, sheriff's department investigators, or tried to get them to reopen the case? Well, Crime Watch Daily came here and did a nationwide television show and interviewed them and tried to convince them to reopen the case. I just submitted a petition with 1,122 signatures to the district attorney this week, along with some transcribed um, interviews with people that were transcribed so he could read them. And I just sent a packet of information to the Sheriff's Department FedEx day before yesterday with new evidence. So, you know, and I just took a girl there six weeks ago that had evidence and she spoke with him and 
Um, we recorded it and had it transcribed and sent it to them. So I'm doing everything I can to help them with the new evidence, but nothing's changed. Do you do you find them receptive to you when you uh, when you want to come in and talk with them or? No, uh, they're very hostile present? towards me. So when I took the young woman that one of the people that murdered Hank to talk to the detectives, he wouldn't let me come in and was very hostile towards me. No, I hope one day they may be. It's election year. Um, but so far <laughs> they have not been. They just say I'm crazy and I need to get over it and let it go. And have, Don, have you considered uh, using or in, in, um, involving a victim's advocate maybe to uh, act as kind of an intermediary between you and the sheriff's department? From you mean like the victim's advocate from the county? No, I'm, I'm talking about uh, perhaps Citizens Against Homicide or the Resource Center for uh, Victims of Violent Death. There are uh, three or so uh, of these organizations that I have listed on my resources for survivors website, and uh, they do that type of thing. Uh, if if there's a hostility between the the family and the police agency they can uh they can intervene on your behalf and uh and, and deal with the police aid that sometimes takes a little bit of the friction away and, and may actually result in in some progress um in the past I've contacted a couple of places are are those resources available here in North Carolina are they yes. nationwide? They're nation, okay. na- nationwide, yes. Well, I'll certainly look at it, Denny. I, I have looked at the Yeah, if you get a chance, yeah, go to my uh, go to that webpage and uh, you'll find the contact information and so forth and you know, it it doesn't hurt to try. Right. Uh, if if they can help you, you know, that'll be certainly a, a plus. Okay, Donna, thank you. Uh Ray, thank you. would you uh, like to go next, please? Sure. Um, Our story is, you know, what Donna was speaking of is, you know, I have rings true to kind of what we have gone through. Um, Our story is similar to a a lot of people's stories that we've heard over the past four years when we kind of started this roller coaster ride. Um, We received a phone call from law enforcement on the evening of February 26, 2014, that our 21-year-old son, Christian, had committed suicide. And um, I immediately knew something was wrong. I had had a lot of concerns uh, about the relationship that he was in. Um, and I felt like due to the people that were who made the 911 call and were involved in that apartment, that there was something that had gone very wrong. And I felt the police had just jumped to the easy conclusion of um, suicide. Um, so over the next three years, we hired two different sets of investigators, two attorneys. We retained Crime Scene Reconstruction Group out of Florida who came up and and luminol the apartment and, um, you know, uh, looked at blood spatter. Um, We retained Jonathan Arden, who is a a well-known forensic pathologist. And they all came up with the same opinion that the scene was staged and that Christian was murdered. we had a lot of resistance from law enforcement. Um, 
we then began to suspect that there was more than just laziness involved. Um, we, we felt like we had overwhelming evidence that it was murder, but yet no one would really accept the evidence. Um, the day after the three-year statute of limitations had run out, the DA recused himself. Um, stating that he was family friends with us and he needed to, and he had been Christian soccer coach when he was little, uh, but it took him three years to realize this. And uh, the AG's office picked up the case. Um, they interviewed no one. As far as we can tell, they did no investigating. They would not communicate with us at all other than through a few emails. Um, and even though we tried to, wanted to give them evidence and give them our expert opinions um, reports they would not communicate with us they presented it to the grand jury in October of 2017 and it was no build which we had feared would happen just based on kind of their hostile relationship with us and so here we are now still waiting and fighting to try to get something done uh, currently then the the cause or the manner of death is, is still listed as suicide? Yes. The Meridian Police Department... Right. Um, uh-huh. So, so it's still listed as suicide and they refuse to accept your evidence? Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, yes, the Meridian Police Department say that it's an open investigation, but they aren't doing anything because they say the AG's office took it over, and so they really um, have no authority. The AG's office will not take our phone calls or communicate with us in any way. So they, they did a statement to the newspaper stating that as far as they were concerned, the case was closed. So you're getting contradictory of two different agencies. One said it's an open investigation. The other said the case is closed. Yes, but the the local police department say that they can't really do anything because the AG's office has the case. Um I don't know if you were listening when uh, I was speaking with Don a few, but the uh, since you're at this uh, stage where the the uh, authorities are not being receptive to dealing with you, have you considered uh, some type of an advocate to to try to intervene and maybe open up communications? Well, I have not. I've just recently, I guess in the last month, become a part of the Transparency Project group. And so I didn't really um, know those resources were out there. I know I did know that you had posted a group recently. Um, I did reach out to the um, group that you had posted their information. They're not really an advocate. They're more of a... um, It's the... Peltzer, I think, Alex Peltzer maybe. Um, I can't remember exactly the name of it. I did speak to them and did a conference call last week. And they wanted to review the case, and um, we are waiting to hear from a couple of other things that we have going. Um, the six-month 
time period when you can talk to the grand jury members is up in about three weeks. And so we've been told by someone that was in the courtroom that actually the grand jury wanted to indict, that they were unanimous um, in wanting to indict, but that they were asked by the AG's office to not indict and to no-bill it, that they wanted to continue to investigate it. So we're when we can speak to them in the next three weeks, we're hoping to cl- verify that. Donna, what okay. state are, what state are you in, and and did did this event take place in that state? Or Ray, Donna, I'm sorry, or me, me. Okay, no, Ray. Um, I'm in Mississippi, and it okay. did take place in Mississippi. Okay. Um. Uh, May I suggest, Ray, uh, that you might want to check out the Resources for Survivors page. I posted a link to it uh, on the Transparency uh, Project page. And there are three organizations specifically listed there that do advocacy work. And uh, I uh, I found them to be uh, effective, if you will. So there, you may want to visit there when you have time and, and just check check them out. And uh, you can call them. The contact information is there. And see if there's anything they could do that might uh, help you to advance the case. And, uh, it, like I was telling Donna, it can't hurt anything. And if uh, if you find something that would help you, then, you know, so much the better. Right. Okay. Um, okay, thank you very much, Ray. And Larry, would you uh, tell us uh, about your case? Well, on March 24, 2012, uh, my daughter, Molly Young, uh, was, uh, there was a 911 call called in saying she was uh, died of a drug overdose in a Carbondale, Illinois Police Department, Carbondale, Illinois Police Department dispatcher's apartment. And this uh, dispatcher was her ex-boyfriend. When uh, the paramedics arrived, uh, they found it was a gunshot wound to the top of the head on the left side, and she was Uh, right-handed. He called back later and said he was mistaken. It was a gunshot wound instead of a drug overdose. Uh, Our boyfriend, according to, he immediately lawyered up. So we have no interview of him. He refused to be interviewed. He refused to give consent to search his apartment, his car, his phone, his uh, take DNA samples or any of that. They had to go get search warrants, which took seven hours to obtain. And time of death was established at 4 a.m. and the 911 call was at 9:02 a.m. Uh, according to all records that we have obtained. Uh, he was asleep in bed and didn't hear the gunshot. She was shot next to his bed. Uh, he immediately loaded up and has never been interviewed in offici- officially. She, the, he, there's statements that he made to his coworkers that day that they wrote down. She was shot in the top of the head. Let's see, I, I, I wrote this down and I'm trying to review it here. Notice. Uh, her body was moved, and there's no explanation for why her body is moved, and he had two six-inch scratches on his side. 
And uh, the next day they did an autopsy, and uh, we didn't receive that report for 15 months, and and it said that uh, the autopsy said the conclusion was that the investigators at the autopsy told the pathologist that the, the, the investigation indicated self-inflicted so she could classify it as suicide. Ten months later, after the lab test reports came back and everything, there were 16 or 19 lab reports. Her fingerprints weren't on the gun. There was no gunpowder residue on her hands. Uh, the uh, He had blood spatter on his pajama pants. He had gunpowder residue on his clothes, all the things that in, indicators of homicide. They brought it before a jury and didn't present this. They only presented uh, excerpts out of Molly's journals that were written eight years prior, uh, up to eight years prior. The last entry was nine months prior, and there were depressing thoughts because she had had a uh, uh, thyroid problem that she had a, half of uh, her thyroid removed a year prior to her death. And uh, they used all, read all those in the inquest but didn't read these 19 lab tests the Illinois State Police. So what ended up happening is a jury, without enough evidence, ruled it undetermined. So now her death certificate has undetermined written on on it to this day. And so then we uh, started searching out lawyers for wrongful death, not only against the uh, uh, falling wrongful death against the uh, perpetrator, but also wrongful death against uh, the city of Carbondale for letting him wash his hands and change clothes prior to taking him in to the station. A sergeant, a 30-year sergeant, arrived at the scene first and let him do that. Uh, so we explored the uh, avenue of doing that with lawyers, but there's no case law. Not, I went to five different law firms, and there was no case law in Illinois that would justify Following that lawsuit and and lawyers, that's their bailiwick or whatever you want to call it. They have to have a case law to cite in court. So they said, since there's no case law, it's a lot harder case because normally the prosecutor is the one saddled with uh, prosecute, you know, representing the case, not the not a civil attorney. So it was going to. I was going. There was no. None of them would do it pro bono. They were all all required two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars an hour. And they told one one lawyer law firm told me it could be upwards of two hundred fifty thousand dollars in expenses. Who? So uh, not his time, just expenses. Uh, so the problem. Larry, the problem. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say um, I'm going to get back in the next round here to get more in-depth on everybody's experiences about the, the wrongful death aspect. But with the, as far as the investigation goes, with the, it, you know, from what you're telling us about the, uh, the first of all, calling in as an overdose versus, and then finding out it's a gunshot and the, the, the you know, from 4 a.m. until 9 a.m. Uh, discrepancy in the time of reporting, and I, I, it's just overwhelming to me. Uh, you know that there's something wrong here. Uh, the the authorities though are not 
they're not grasping that, do you think, or they're not paying attention, or they know it, but there's just nothing they can do about it? Well, first of all, we fought a, a long battle through Freedom of Information Act. They were not readily giving us the information. So they were not talking to us and telling us what happened. So we got this through the Attorney General's office, forcing them through a binding opinion to give us this information. So obviously there was no uh, uh, cooperation to begin with with the victim's family. So uh, they never, we never met with the Carbondale Police Department. I went there that day, and they wouldn't talk to me. Uh, the state police then took it over, and they wouldn't talk to me either until I got a lieutenant colonel to talk, call them and ask them why. Uh, man. Uh, so of, of the three cases we've talked about, we have two suicide rulings, uh, an accident, and an undetermined. Uh, and the I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but the the number of suicides or what are classified as suicides that may very well not be to me is stunning. Uh, suicide seems in some cases to be kind of an easy way out. Uh, you know, you can close the when I say you, I mean the authorities can close the case as a suicide and. Uh, it's off the books, and and no further investigation is necessary. And that, uh, you know, scares the hell out of me. Actually, that that it's very possible that there are many murders that go undetected or uninvestigated because of this uh, suicide ruling, and the fact that the uh, the the pathologists, the uh, medical examiners. Uh, you know, ask the cops what they think, which is fine. It's fine to know the circumstances, what they think. But, uh, you know, I think the pathologists, uh, the medical examiners, should be making their own decisions and that the police input should just be one part of that. I, I don't know if they should just rubber stamp the police decision. But anyway, that's I, I, don't, I don't want to get too far off uh, off track. Can I condition that one thing? The police, Illinois State Police wrote a report after they got the pathology report saying we did not tell her that we thought it was self-inflicted. I have a copy of the report. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, now what I'd like to do uh, next is discuss the actual wrongful death lawsuits. Um, I always, when I think of wrongful death suits, I, I frequently think of O.J. Simpson. Uh, he was acquitted in the criminal uh, trial, but then uh, the Goldman family got him in on a wrongful death suit, and he he actually was deposed, and a, a lot of things uh, came out, and it was a decision that he was the killer. Uh, and, of course, there was a big... Uh, big settlement awarded, and as far as I know, the Goldmans have never collected a dime because O.J. Uh, was able to uh, protect his assets, and uh, they didn't get anything. However, uh, so when you come to a case where the police apparently are not receptive to anything but a uh, possibly a suicide or an accident or that type of thing, uh, 
one of the resources that, that you may be able to utilize is the wrongful death lawsuit to get the uh, alleged perpetrator uh, into a deposition and, and other witnesses uh, and so forth. So, the uh, Donna, uh, tell us, Donna, if you would tell us about what what you uh, had to do in the to get the a wrongful death action started. Uh, how tough it was? Was it tough to find a lawyer? All that type of thing. What what was your experience? It was very tough to find a lawyer, but I tell you what, I did. I started looking for a lawyer that had sued the same county before and had sued the sheriff's department, looking for someone because there was no one inside the county would, that would touch it. They just don't do that. So I went to Asheville, which is away from here, an hour away from here, found and found a lawyer. He agreed to do it to file the suit for me because I'm a paralegal and worked in law, So and I've done pro se big pro se case that I won before. So I'm confident enough that if I could just get somebody to get me in the door. So I made a deal with him that, you know, if you get to the point where you feel uncomfortable after you file it, I just need you to get the phone, which they had for four days after Hank died, and the evidence, his clothes, and the police file and the SBI file. So I made an agreement with him that once we got there, um, if if he felt uncomfortable, but I did. We did go through months, and I went over ten thousand dollars. I had to give him two thousand dollars to start, and then he was kind, you know. And finally, when we got when he got court ordered to get the sheriff's department file and the SBI file, there was evidence in there that made him real nervous because um, we had to sign a. Uh, uh, we had to sign an agreement that that it was confidential and it couldn't be shared in order to get it. So, um, and this was two years two years later in January when we got the evidence. And so he he got off the case and I took over the case. Um, and we've done depositions since then. Found out a whole lot of information. Um, the sheriff's file was filled with evidence that they overlooked and some that they concealed. Um, the SBI file shared a lot of information showing that the sheriff's department, they asked the sheriff's department when the toxicology report came in if they had any more evidence for them, and they said no, which indeed they had some very serious evidence that they concealed. So not only did they conceal evidence, but then they told the SBI they didn't have any more when they got the SBI to sign off and they closed the case. It's been a very powerful tool for finding out the truth, um, and I'm very happy that I did it because the things I know I'd never know have known. It would have been all just kept in the files, locked away forever. Now, so you're basically handling this yourself now? Are you, yes. Are you doing depositions and questioning witnesses and all that? Yes. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this. Since no one was ever charged 
uh, in this uh, in the death. Do have have you actually deposed the person you think was responsible, or the persons you think were responsible? And if so, did they uh, I, did they have any uh, concerns or rights in the in the sense that they could take the Fifth Amendment or no? There are ten people in our lawsuit, and the four I did. Um, subpoena two of the people in the lawsuit, but neither of those showed up. They just didn't come. So far, we've gotten four people that had evidence of what happened, and we we, we videotaped it. So, um, and it was substantial. It cost a lot of money to do that, and one day, I think, with the... I think we hit fifteen hundred dollars with subpoenas in the in the and and you know because you have to have a court reporter or a video videographer when you're doing a deposition. Did I answer the question? So it's yeah. So so it's quite expensive, even with you doing your own representing yourself. Right, if you had a lawyer, it'd be twenty-four more hundred dollars for that day at three hundred dollars an hour. Oh boy, okay, uh, but but you're you think the results were worth the expense? Yes. Okay, uh, let me move on to Ray. Ray, what uh, what can you tell us about your efforts or your consideration of a wrongful death suit? Well, I, I totally agree with what Donna was saying. I mean, I think it's a, a very valuable tool if you can afford it and if you can, again, you know, a lot of the same things that has already been said. I mean, we, we ran into, I didn't really have an, a difficulty with finding an attorney because the attorney we had, the first attorney we retained when we were, Trying, basically doing our own investigation of Christian's case, um, he had said, you know, up front, I'll, I'll sue whoever you want to sue, but none of these people have any assets, and so I'm not going to be able to do it on contingency. It's going to have to be an hourly rate, which his hourly rate was $250. Um, and I, I have a paralegal background, too. Um, I don't practice that now but in the and I have a you know went to college for that so I kind of knew about wrongful death suits and and statute of limitations and that type of thing so we we from the get-go kind of had our eye on the clock with that and we wanted to file the wrongful death suit just for the very reason that it sounds like Donna did was just to be able to depose people and get them under oath and even if they lied they'd at least lie under oath and there might be consequences for that but um, we actually filed the wrongful death suit against um, the two individuals that were in the apartment um, when Christian was killed and they both had gunshot residue on their hands and there was multiple reasons why we felt that they were um, involved and um, but they had no assets we filed the last day. Um, the three-year statute of limitations ran out on a Sunday. Um, we filed on the Friday. And then I think you have, if I can remember correctly, 90 days 
to serve them um, or to let them know that they've been named in a lawsuit. And um, I pay, in that 90 days, I paid $10,000, and they had not even been served yet. And um, he had told me that it would be, you know, a ballpark figure, at least $100,000, but it would probably be much more than that by the time everyone was deposed and, you know, every, all the different expenses. So... Um, we ended up dropping the lawsuit on the last day of the 90 days um, just because we couldn't afford it, quite frankly. Even though I think that it would have been invaluable, we just, we, you know, he was basically wanting five and $10,000 every, going to be every month or so, and there was just no way. Wow. Yeah, it's... Um... So obviously finances you know, is one of the obstacles in, in filing these types of lawsuits, finances, statute of limitations. What other kind of obstacles have you run into with this? I mean, it seems like a great idea in theory. However, in real life, there's so many hoops you have to jump through just to get on board. Well, and I think that, um, like Larry was speaking about, as far or someone had mentioned that no one in that county would, you know, they're not going to go against, because we've gone down the road of attempting to file a lawsuit against the Marine Police Department, um, Mississippi Bureau of Investigations, you know, everyone, um, just because we feel like they've covered it up and that they, and we wanted them under oath. And, we have, I mean, I've been to dozens of attorneys outside of our county, all over the state of Mississippi, and about four weeks ago, I finally found someone who says that they will consider pursuing it, um, and they say that it's not a statute of limitations issue because it's conspiracy, and the conspiracy is ongoing, um, so it's, you know, we don't have to worry about statute of limitations, but that's kind of a getting off the subject for wrongful death. But, I mean, I just think it all goes back to the deposing of people and being able. Now, what I've been told, and this may not be true, Donna, you, you might probably know this, is that they, that they can't, if it's a wrongful death suit, that they can't take the fifth. Is that true? I, I, I didn't answer that. The only time anybody took the fifth is when Hank was murdered. They called one of the girls that was there to come to the sheriff's department to interview just days later, and she had a lawyer write a letter pleading the, the fifth. But, no, I haven't even subpoenaed but two of the people in the lawsuit at this point, but the two that I did just didn't show. And you know, we're in the, then you got to go and get a contempt order from the judge to get to get him to to order them to come. But I'm just, you know, in the middle of that. You're always mm-hmm. practicing your next step. So no, I don't know. I don't know is the answer to that question. Yeah, I think probably every state. The, their laws and so so forth to be a little bit different. So what works, you know, in one state may not work somewhere else. I'm, I'm interested, uh, Ray, though, that your this latest attorney you've talked with said that the statute of limitations would not be a factor because of a conspiracy that's ongoing. Right. Mm-hmm. 
he says the statute of limitations hasn't even started because it's an, as, as long as they continue to cover up what, you know, uh, and suppress evidence, then there's an ongoing conspiracy. And so the statute of limitations, that clock won't start ticking until, you know, the day they stop doing that and until the last act of conspiracy, I guess you'd say. And he said, you know, um, one of the things that we we have that we've been fighting for for three years is there was a, a mixed sample of DNA on the trigger. The gun was wiped clean, but there was um, uh, some DNA on the trigger of the gun, which they say it's more than two people. So it's a mixed sample. Um, the crime lab, our crime lab, said they did not have the technology to um, pull any data from that. They said they didn't want to basically, because it's a small sample, they didn't want to uh, cancel it out, I guess you'd say, do away with it because their tests would not show any information. We found a forensic lab, um, and they were they they said that it had enough markers or alleles that they could draw out the information from it, um, the the identities of our you know the people that was on there. Um, the DA refused to has uh, and and the AG would not even. They told us they didn't know where the the sample was, and the DA said that refused to release it, let the crime lab release it to an outside lab. And um, the AG's office told us that they didn't know where the sample was. And so then when I called the Mississippi Crime Lab and they said, well, we have it right here. And I sent the AG's office an email saying it's in your own crime lab. I just verified that. <laughs> they never responded to an email after that. Um, just incredible stuff. Uh, Larry. Could you tell us about your experience uh, with the wrongful death suit? Well, we felt that we should not go with the wrongful death suit until we get records. And we spent uh, almost two years getting the records because we didn't think you could go in court with he said, she said. And uh, our statute of limitations ran out. We got the records. We found what we wanted. uh, The Suspect had no assets, so there's no reason to go and try to get money to pay for the future legal battles. So we decided, you know, not to do it. And then a lawyer came along that would take the case pro bono initially, and then he came back with a $10,000 retainer fee, and that's all it would cost. And we had to appeal it also if it didn't get settled in the lower courts. So, but we were three months past the two-year statute of limitations. But his reasoning, and he's successfully argued this before, was equitable tolling. Well, equitable tolling is similar to what uh, she just was talking about as, uh, on the conspiracy, is that uh, the clock starts ticking from the time you get the records, from the time you have proof that there's a wrongful death. Uh, claim for a wrongful death suit. So we didn't receive the records for, I think, let me see, uh, 18 months. So that was our initial records. And then those records were not complete. They were, there was a lot more records we got later we had to fight for for three or four years later. But he, had, he was using that as the start date of wrongful death to the time of death started it from the time we got the records, which would have put us in the two-year limitation. He argued that in court, and the judge 
well, actually, he didn't have a chance to argue. The closing arguments were sent in by mail, and the judge never got them. They got our argument for some reason. They got the circuit clerk stamped it, but the judge never got it in his uh, decision. He says we never received the closing argument, so he threw it out. So then we made a motion to reconsider, and the judge wouldn't reconsider. And then we appealed it to the appellate court, and it then got thrown out there. So there's one other thing that another angle that they used uh, to argue is uh, fraudulent concealment, which is a five-year statute of limitations in Illinois. And that didn't hold up water either with them. But you're, you're arguing in the same court where you've got a, uh, in the same court that's controlled by the same police department that caused the problem to begin with. So you can't, you know, how you can get that court to, uh, Go, if the whole if the county is corrupt in that situation, then how are you going to get to get them to rule that you've got you can follow through with that and depose people? But anyway, we went on after that, and I got a hold of a congresswoman, and we got Molly's law passed, which changed the statute of limitations for wrongful death to five years in Illinois, and one year after a trial, whether they're found guilty or not. So um, that's the key to lengthening the, in an open investigation, an active and ongoing investigation, ours, still, ours is still open, by the way, uh, officially, uh, the waiting for further evidence to surface to determine whether it's homicide or suicide. Uh, the, uh, the key, really, is these laws have been passed all these years dealing with medical malpractice wrongful death is really geared toward medical there's no distinguishing between medical malpractice stealing out of a till or any of that on the two-year statute of limitations that's the problem that two-year statute of limitation when there's a violent death involved or a suspicious death or missing person should not there should not be a statute of limitations uh, that for two years and, and they don't distinguish the difference you know, that's the problem. You know, you can medical malpractice, you can do discovery, and there's all kinds of case law you can use. And medical malpractice, you know, is what wrongful death statutes fit. They don't fit murder. And then you got to wait four or five months, six months for the report to even come back from the medical examiner, so that cuts you down. Yeah, well, and a half what, now. What they know the two. They know the two-year statute limitations. They know I that know they're, they they're going to be lawsuits if they let you have any information before that two years uh, they all know that i know and, and yeah, I they totally got a law agree with you with that in illinois they got a law passed that says that uh, uh illinois state police can't be sued for more than a thousand a hundred thousand dollars for their wrong wrongful acts that isn't right no it's not because you can't get a lawyer to take it for, for because they know deposing people like you said is the most expensive part and to get people to tell the truth is the only way to get them to tell the truth is to depose them because they're sworn to secrecy otherwise in their, in their oath. Law enforcement officers are sworn to secrecy in their oath. That's, the system obviously is very difficult to fight. Uh, it's uh, certainly frustrating and you know, I was interested, Larry, you talked about in initially thinking about a wrongful death suit uh, 
against the police department because of uh, allowing this individual to to clean up and wash his hands and so forth. Uh, and, you know, apparently there was no case law in that, and uh, nobody nobody was willing to, uh, to take it on. But it, somewhere, somehow, at some point, there should be something where these police agencies that botch investigations, uh, whether incompetence is involved or whether there's some kind of a willful act, uh, you know, that they can be held accountable. Uh, the law should not be above the law, in my opinion. They, they should, uh, there, there should be some mechanism to, uh, to hold them accountable if they do screw up. Uh, and it, it, it just seems as though there yeah. should be some way. In Illinois, that falls under official misconduct. But there's a two-year statute of limitations on official misconduct. And our original law we would like to see passed is that there's no statute of limitations on official misconduct when there's a death involved. Mm-hmm. Very, very... Now, is that something you're working on, or is that... No, I worked might on be it. In the oven. Uh, I worked on it, but uh, there nobody wanted to pass that law. I did get Molly's law passed, you know, for wrongful death, and and we did get it a year past the trial date. If they're ever brought to trial, whether they're found guilty or not, you still have one year after that to follow the wrongful death, which is a good thing for people. That helped me somewhat. I, the five year was already up on me by the time we got the law passed, so. Five-year statute of limitations didn't really help, but I was doing it, knowing that, to help other people. I think, you know, there's many people hurting this thing. We're not, you know, ten people. There's there's thousands of people that are having to, dealing with the same thing, and some of it's budgetary constraints. Illinois is broke. You know, they don't have enough money to pay for the experts' opinions. The, the counties don't. Uh, you know, there's so many th- issues surrounding why they're, they're not following through, you know. And in our area, they're doing victim. They're only prosecuting victimless crimes that generate revenue. Every once in a while, they'll prosecute one that can't defend himself, and then going to cost the county two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars to fight another lawyer. I'm just explaining the issues. That's the true. Issues are yeah, no, I. Ain't... And oh, the laws need to be passed in favor of the victim. In the past, when the economy was really good and uh, uh, they didn't have all the technicalities to squirm out of uh, being held responsible, then you could, uh, you know, it was different. But now in the recent years, there's been all kinds of things passed unknowingly to the victims. They're just now starting to stand up and speak out. Victims' families, because they're finding out the system in what they thought it was when they get in the. I had no ideas like this when I got involved. I thought that they stood up for every person that was murdered. Yeah, knew how to investigate, like on TV. Yeah, I thought. I thought the that was the. Uh, I thought that was the prosecutor's responsibility. But when someone pointed out to me, and a victims advocate did point out to me, and I have talked to Gene at the Card Citizens Against Homicide quite a few times what they pointed out to me in illinois is that uh it doesn't say molly young versus the suspect it says the people of illinois 
versus a suspect. So he's not well, representing Molly. He's re- representing the people. The prosecutor is representing the people. Well, and oftentimes yeah. representing themselves or um, right. or friends and of theirs. <laughs> and they have federal immunity from that. There's federal immunity. Now, there is a RICO Act, you know, uh, federal act that you can, if you can do that conspiracy thing, it's RICO Act, federal law, that they, but that's hard to prove. What? Are they related to, to each other? No, that they made their decision based on that relationship, that they, uh, that they did something wrong. In their in their capacity as prosecutor, prosecutorial misconduct, and and it has to be more than one person involved for RICO Act. It has to be a, a you know it's racketeering act. It, it's even though it's not really racketeering in our mind, it's it's a conspiracy. Right, they have to have you have to prove that there is they had a gain of some type. Yeah, it doesn't have to yeah. be monetary, but it has to be they had something to gain. And there has to be more than one person not involved. Going to prison? Well, exactly. That, that would be my yeah. <laughs> it, I it's a lot harder to prove than the wrongful death. Okay, that's very guilty. interesting. It, it it sounds like you guys are all going to end up with law degrees by the time you're done here. You're getting quite a uh, an experience in the certainly in the in the legal system and the laws. And I just want to mention. Uh, Larry is going to be on uh, another show uh, on May 2nd to talk about legislation and what was involved in getting Molly's law passed and, you know, what the uh, what his experience was. And I'm hoping that that might be the start of discussion that can be used in other localities, uh, other jurisdictions as, uh, you know, I, I don't think, uh, Anybody would say that we've that even even as successful as that was that there isn't more that can be done. And Larry was just mentioning some of the things he'd like to see, but it certainly is a giant step uh, yeah. forward. So uh, we'll be discussing that on May second um, with him. Now, so what I'm getting here from from what I've heard is it's. The wrongful death lawsuit can be a very powerful tool, but you've got to be able to afford them. And in every case, all three of the cases we've discussed here, uh, one of the uh, things about finding a lawyer is is nobody has assets. So if they're looking at a monetary judgment of some kind, uh, they know that they're not going to be able to collect, so they're not interested, in, and they want you then to to pay, to pay uh, up front, uh, which is thousands, tens of thousands, or possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, so, as uh, as good as uh, it may be to be able to get depose these people, depose witnesses, and uh, and so on, and get records, get discovery. Uh, that's a wonderful thing, but the question is, can you afford it? And uh, and, and that's uh, you know a, a tough situation for for most people. Uh, 
I'd like to uh, go around uh, one more time in closing and uh, just get your render your opinion that uh, you, uh, about wrongful death lawsuits in general and uh, any closing comments you have. So, Don, if you, let's start uh, with you, please. Okay. Um, my opinion about, I think one of the biggest obstacles is you have to have the courage, number one, and you're grieving. And the biggest obstacle is being able to, because I know a lot of other people that are going through this. We were counting in a meeting that we had last night, 14 families we know um, in this area. Um, you have to have a lot of courage and a lot of support to get through the the statute of limitations, and I agree there should be no statute of limitations on wrongful death and, and suspicious death. Um, but I know that I wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't filed that wrongful death suit. It has been very hard, not only financially, but in physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's not fun. I shouldn't have to do this. Um, but I've got evidence now, and I'm presenting it, and I want them to look at it. If they're not going to look at this, they're covering it up for real. So okay, in that way... Uh, and, and I want to mention, Donna, before I move on to rate it, I'll, I would hope all three of you will let us know if there's any movement or developments because we would want to update, uh, you know, what's going on in these cases as, as you get new information or things happen or decisions are made. So uh, hopefully you will keep us informed uh as your uh, efforts go through the system. Uh, Ray, what, what closing comments would you like to make? Well, I agree with Donna. I think that it's, um, I don't know if this really has to do with wrongful death suits, but just in general, the process is, you know, I know that for the first three years, we we felt very isolated and very um, alone because no one, there was no, there was never anything in the newspaper about even questioning that it was anything. I mean, there was never anything in the paper about it being a suicide even. Um, and, our, you know, Christian's story was told on Crime Watch also in actually uh, it was June of 2017. And that was really the first, you know, everybody, I got all these emails and texts saying, I had no idea, you know, you were going through this. Nobody's ever, you've never said anything. And it's because you felt like you couldn't trust anybody. You didn't know who you would or who would go tell something. And just the support that you felt like you didn't, you weren't alone. And so I think groups like this are great because you realize, I mean, I, I too thought that the justice system was, a-okay because I'd never been involved in it um, and then when you get personally involved in it and the people that you voted into office <laughs> that you thought that you thought were good people <laughs> you realize you start hearing these stories and people start you know when they hear your story they start telling you of their experiences and um, you know it's eye-opening and it's sad and um, it, you know, I, I think I think that another kind of offshoot of this would be even the grand jury. I think there needs to be tremendous reform in how a grand jury is conducted. I don't think that 
they, uh, a prosecutor should have final say of what information is given to a grand jury and who goes to grand jury because I feel like that makes them God in the justice system. And um, so anyway, that's my closing comments. <laughs> Yep. Thank, thank you very much, Ray and Larry. Very quickly, what uh, would you like to say? Well, uh, I have to qualify that wrongful death in my state. Uh, uh, if you follow a wrongful death suit, the, none of the public bodies have to give you any information through FOIA or anything. There's a, there's a statute that says that. So once you follow wrongful death, you're shut out of the system. Number two is uh, you have to immediately get to, to process and fight for your loved one's rights as a victim, you have to get named executor or administrator of the state. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people start off and they uh, think they can do it, and then they realize they have to get named administrator, and that takes some time too sometimes. So you have to do that immediately, Whether and it doesn't cost that much to do that. And you have a lot of the same as power of health and power of attorney over your uh, relative's uh, affairs by getting that. And it cost me $141 to do that. So I I recommend everyone do that immediately after they would uh, have a situation like this come about. Kate, uh, Larry, thank you very much. Thanks thanks to you, thanks to Donna, and thanks to Ray uh, for sharing your experiences with us. And uh, until next time, thank you, Denny. Which will be well. You're you're very welcome. And uh, the next show will be on April 24th, and it will be Parabon Laboratory. Thank you very much. Thank Stay you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.